Welcome to the porch, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the porch. I, I think this is where real conversations about Jesus happen. That's the plan. Okay. Luke, Luke 7, verses 1 through 10 is what you had sent me in a text. Yeah. And that is really talking about the faith of the centurion, correct? Mm-hmm. Did you look at it at all before this? Not today, but I've looked at it before. Okay. I've looked at it before, but sometimes it's good to kind of peruse that information and freshen up. So, welcome to the porch, y'all, is our slogan, and we're going to have a much cooler-sounding voice start saying that probably in the next couple weeks. He's got a really nice Oklahoma twangy, (laughs) just good old boy sound, and so you'll be... You'll be hearing that over the next couple weeks. We're excited to kind of start this podcast. Tonight we're looking at belief and what belief means. And uh, sometimes I don't even know. Is it the same thing as faith? I don't know. I think it's kind of the seed, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that faith has has a biblical definition according to Hebrews. It's believing in something that you can't see. Mm hmm that old song Beulah Land, you know, kind of has a, a little bit of a descriptor in there so where your faith is going to end inside because once you're in heaven, you no longer acquire faith. Mm-hmm. I always thought that said faith ends in sight because then you see. Yeah, it probably the same. Maybe. You're going to see it if you're inside. <laughs> yeah. You're going to see it if you're inside. So belief, give me a, give me a, give me a secular example and when I say secular, give me a real world mm-hmm. minus all the religious stuff example of belief. Mm. Throw you out there. Um, uh, whenever, like maybe when a parent says, I believe in you to their kid, mm. they're... Um, Oh, maybe that's not a very good example. Hmm. Uh, maybe just the th- different beliefs that people have about different, kind of the way things should be. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I believe everybody should uh, be considerate of others and get along and, and that that produces a, an efficient community. Um, whereas somebody else may not, may not believe the same thing for some reason. They may believe that, um, it's not important to get along with others and it's just kind of every man for himself and just kind of stay out of each other's way. If you don't get along or that kind of thing, just, what if I just use this, this example and it may not necessarily resonate, but let's just say that you set a goal. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's say that you're 40 pounds overweight and you set a goal that you want to lose 40 pounds. Mm-hmm. When you set that goal that you can lose 40 pounds, there's that seed of belief that's been planted. Then basically you have to do the gardening steps such as drink water, maybe eat less cake, mm-hmm. drink less pop. Maybe the exercise routine, whatever that is, you start out with just these. And then in two weeks, you get on the scales for the first time and you've lost seven pounds. Mm. 
So you fed that initial belief, and now you start to believe that you can actually accomplish mm-hmm. it because those little things. I think faith is that same thing, especially within church circles. Mm-hmm. When some people don't believe that like healing and miracles and things like that can happen anymore, but if you get around a large group of people that do believe those can happen, then it in a sense feeds your belief because they talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. They're always wanting to see it. And then it may truly manifest. Right. It may truly manifest and it's just like, I can't really explain this, but at the same time, this just happened. Mm-hmm. So your belief starts to grow. So I think that belief and faith, I don't know if they're the same. I don't know. I think you have to have you have to have faith to believe. Um, well, I mean, you can no, you can believe things that don't require faith. Yeah. So faith isn't doesn't automatically go with belief. But you can't have faith in something without believing it. Faith has to have belief, but belief doesn't have to have faith. Is faith? Is faith only applicable? Is faith only applicable when it comes to believing that Jesus is the Lord? Can and there, everything else is belief? No, because I think um, you know whenever you hear the argument for whenever there's scientists or atheists who who uh, believe in evolution and Big Bang and and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a there's a certain degree of faith that they have that the information that they're being provided with is correct or that calculations that have been made based on theories and and limited data yeah is that belief or faith i would say they're putting their faith in that i would call that faith okay yeah i don't know i don't know i mean i i don't know that i've ever I don't know that I've ever traveled down this rabbit hole with anybody <laughs> as far as like the difference between belief and faith. Right. Because it says faith is a is faith a gift? Yeah. Faith in God is a gift. I think faith in Christ is a gift. But I think you can have secular faith in in anything. Um even if you use Hebrew, the Hebrews definition Believing in something, like electricity. Yeah, believing in something that you can't see. Well, electricity, you can see lights, but believing... Um, I see the outcome of it hitting a filament. Right. And But I can't see electricity before... Right. But um, I don't know, what's like an old wives' tale that there's really no evidence for, but people kind of believe in it? Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeah, there are people that... that they would argue... I'm, I'm sure most of them would argue that they do have some concrete evidence but i think i mean they got bigfoot hair they got big yeah. concrete <laughs> bigfoot feet yeah. you you've got some of that stuff don't you no i don't have any of that <laughs> yeah how about this cup is it a fox i don't know my kids made this for me years ago and i just grabbed it out of the cabinet but i thought it'd be cool to kind of display their artistic yeah show the other side where it's the it's, butt and the yeah. tail the head just like is the, on one side the tail is just not kind of thinking i don't know what it is looks like you got stuck in a hole yeah yeah i think so you tried to climb through a tree 
Yeah, so custom. I mean, faith versus belief. Uh, the faith of the centurion. So, mm-hmm. faith of the centurion in Luke chapter seven. And I think you chose verses one through ten. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had, I had chosen Luke seven as well, but I was further on in the book. But you stuck one through ten out there, and mm-hmm. so I went with that. One through ten is talking about that centurion. He's got this servant mm-hmm. that's really sick. And he knows that he knows he has faith that Jesus can heal his servant because he believes there is a chance that Jesus truly is the Messiah based on all the other miracles and things that he's been performing and the things that he's the things that people are telling him that are happening. So the centurion servant's really sick. Um, we don't know what role this servant necessarily played. Was he the guy that was he the cupbearer? Was he the guy that, you know, took care of the garden? We don't really know that, but we do know that he liked this guy and he loved him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you read some different in the Gospels, whether it's the centurion goes himself and only goes so far, mm-hmm. and he, or does he send servants to ask Jesus? Mm-hmm. So this is what we're talking about, right? Right. So as far as faith, he believed that Jesus could heal his servant. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone. Yeah, and it almost I almost kind of pictured that um, he, he had, I don't think he had seen Jesus at this point. I think he had only heard about him. I kind of think the same thing. So then there's believing without seeing. He hasn't even seen the guy, but he's believing in the miracles that people are talking about and that kind of thing. Yeah. And he, you know, just... I think the belief that someone can be healed. Now, he is basically, he even goes a step further, and that's why Jesus really kind of highlights the fact that there's not such great faith that he's seen, Hmm. except in this Uh guy, because most people, most people feel like to to have healing, you'll need to lay your hands on me. Mm Mm-hmm. Or you'll need to actually physically anoint someone with oil to get healing. But this guy takes it a step further. It's just like, hey, just tell the sickness to go away. Mm-hmm. If you're the Messiah, I mean, you basically are the one that put all this stuff together so you can command it to do whatever you want it to do. So his faith is one of those to where it's just like he doesn't even, Jesus, he's not even expecting Jesus to go in person. Mm-hmm. He's just saying, just tell it to happen. I've got soldiers that are under my rule. Basically, if I tell them to go do something, they're going to do it. So this sickness, or if it's being caused by a demonic spirit, Mm -hmm. whatever, Mm -hmm. he says, you just tell the sickness to go away because I've got soldiers, and they do what I tell them to do. So if everything's under your control, and I have faith that it is, otherwise I wouldn't be here, just tell it to go away, and it'll go away. That's I hadn't thought about it that way. I was going to ask you what was what do you think the significance is of um, verse nine, where it, he says, um, uh, "Oh no, I'm sorry." Verse eight: For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, "Go," and he goes; to another, "Come," and he comes; and to my servant, "Do this," and he does it. That to me, that that was kind of felt out of place. Like it, it didn't. I didn't see how it related to to um, his faith and then immediately after that is whenever it says that Jesus marveled at him yeah. and I don't I think that's the only place that Jesus 
marvels at anybody in Scripture. Not very many times do you see it. Um, you know, the, the Syrophoenician lady who says, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the kid's table. Mm-hmm. He says, you answered really good. Yeah. Your daughter's healed. And I was, because I was looking it up, and, and there's a few places where it says he's impressed. Yeah. But this is the only place where it says marveled. In the Greek, I found the Greek word. Thaumadzo is the Greek word. And the only other places that it's used in the New Testament is explaining the reactions or describing the reactions of those witnessing the miracles of Jesus. Mm. So uh, usually Jesus is performing the miracle and, and people are marveling at it. But this is the one time where Jesus, with that same wonder, that same... Amazement. In yeah, a sense. just marvels at the faith of this guy. He kind of... It's like he's happy. Yeah. It's like, I wish everybody got it like you. Yeah. Like, oh, fi- finally somebody got it. Obviously, the Saturian's not perfect because right. he's a person just like we are. But right. at the same time, in this one particular area, he gets this aspect of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He gets this aspect better than most. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. If you take the another healing instance in Scripture is the healing of Jairus's daughter, mm-hmm. you know, the little girl who I think that, if I'm not mistaken, is she, is she 12 in that? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, she's a, she's a girl and Jairus goes and gets him. Mm-hmm. And that's where basically it almost seems like there is a differing level of faith, even amongst the disciples, because he takes Peter, James, and John on a little bit more intimate settings than he does the other disciples. Mm -hmm. But if you remember the lady with the issue of blood who had the issue of blood for 12 years, Mm -hmm. that may be where I'm getting the 12. She touches the hem of Jesus' garment. So even touching, she don't even touch him. She just says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. And he feels power leave out of him and... He says, who touched me? And all the disciples are like, are you kidding me? There's thousands of people (laughs) pressing up against us right now. And you said, who touched me? Uh And the lady basically out of, I don't know, I don't know if it was guilt. I don't know what it was that propelled her to come forward and say, it was me. I'm sure she had some, I mean, the faith that that she had that healed her just by touching his, his robe she probably realized, like, this is Jesus. If I don't fess up, he's going to know. It. He probably already knew that it was her. He was just yeah. asking. The way, same way God asked, Adam, where are you? Yeah. And I think in, and I don't know if this is a Talmudic teaching or if this is in some type of writings, but a lot of people, I think in that time, when I say a lot, I don't know if there was three or if there was three million, but there mm-hmm. wasn't that many people. They believe that the power of the prophet or the healer resided in the tassels or in Mm -hmm. the fringe of their garment. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why she's kind of hanging on to the fringe of the garment. But immediately after that, after she basically professes it was me and she recognized that she's healed, she felt it dry up after she spent all of her money trying to get this issue of blood to go away. Jairus comes up Mm -hmm. and he says, I need you to come with me. My little girl's dying. And while the conversation's happening with the the lady, these people come up, basically almost, you can almost see it as 
the conversation with the lady getting healed is almost a distraction away from Jairus yeah. getting Jesus to his daughter to be healed. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see these people, uh, Jairus maybe, upset at this lady who just got her healing after she'd been suffering for 12 years. No, I need him right now. Mm-hmm. There's not enough of him to go around. You know what I mean? Yeah. So these people come that are at Jairus's house, and they say basically, hey, there's no sense in bothering the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. And that's where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he says, just believe, just believe, everything's going to be okay. So he reassures Jairus, but he gets to the house, and all these paid whalers are crying and doing all this stuff, (laughs) mourning over this little girl's death. And Jesus basically says, she's not dead, she's just asleep. Mm -hmm. And they laugh at him. And he only lets the mom and dad and Peter, James, and John go inside to the room where the little girl is asleep. Dead sleeping. Yeah. (laughs) Dead sleeping. Mm -hmm. And that's where he says, Talitha kum. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? I think it means little girl get up. Mm-hmm. I think it means little girl get up, and I, I probably am incorrect there, but Talitha Kum, and as soon as she gets up, but who besides the mom and dad want that little girl to get up than anybody else? Nobody. Mm-hmm. So belief. They're holding on to this last shred of belief, this last bit of faith, Yeah. that if he really is the Messiah... I mean, because all these other people, they've already started to cast out. She's dead. Don't bother the teacher. So he takes just the mom and dad and Peter, James, and John. And Peter, James, and John have seen a lot of stuff. (laughs) You've seen some some feeding. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if the walking on water has already happened here. Yeah. I don't think the transfiguration has happened yet. No. But there's been some stuff happen. Peter's... Mother-in-law has been healed of mm-hmm. a fever. But there's just been a lot of things, so you have to assume that these guys have a little bit deeper faith than mine. Yeah, because they've, they've experienced it firsthand. They've seen it. And it's, in, it's interesting with the, with the centurion, um, the way he... The way he asks Jesus, whenever he sends out the second time, Jesus is getting close to his house, and he sends out some some servants or friends to tell him, just say the word and it'll be done. Yeah, it's I kind of see it's almost like it's a step beyond faith, where it's just it's just knowledge at this point. Like I don't have faith that there's oxygen in this room. I just I know there's oxygen in this room. I don't yeah. have to I don't have to you know fight to believe it or hold on to that faith. And it's that's kind of the faith or the belief that I see from from the centurion is he just he knows it he knows it's going to happen it's it's kind of beyond faith yeah almost it's just fact I think that there's a lot of things that we we do that with mm-hmm. I wish I hope I'm still striving for for my spiritual aspect of me because I think that we have a physical, mental, and spiritual aspect. Mm -hmm. 
I think sometimes in the physical, we, we trust that knowledge that we have because we've turned switches on and it comes on. Mm -hmm. And then when you turn the fan on, it doesn't come on. You start checking outlets, you start checking fuses, the things that you know to do. And that's kind of a physical thing, but in the mental aspect, and I guess that's kind of a physical thing, but I know that if I drink two, three cups of coffee in the morning, I'm going to get my, my engine going just a little bit, and my mental gears get to grinding just a little bit better. But first thing in the morning, it's just like you're just wiping the sleep out of your eyes. But the spiritual aspect of it, I think that, that that just knowing some of those things without it becoming religious and just these obligations, I got to read my Bible. Mm-hmm. I have to read through three chapters today. And if I don't read through three chapters, I'm not going to be blessed. I think that becomes very real. And those are some mm-hmm. of the spiritual disciplines that we, it's, we're not doing it. I am doing it to get the knowledge that's in it. Right. I am doing it to gain the wisdom that's within the pages. Mm-hmm. But I'm also doing it because I want a more intimate relationship with Jesus. Yeah. So I think that as far as those spiritual things that we do, and I'm still trying to figure out what those disciplines are for me that are productive. And productive in what way? Productive to, for what? I don't even know. I, I think that's what I'm still trying to figure out because I'll go through like two or three weeks where I feel like I'm, I'm very ritualistic in what I'm doing and I feel like there's life on it. And then I do the same thing for the fourth week and it feels just flat. Don't feel any spiritual life out of it. Yeah, I have a, I have a good quote from John Piper about that. Um, um, it's from his book, When I Don't Desire God. Uh, he says, how else can we explain the words of, of Habakkuk in three, Habakkuk three seventeen through 18? Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, field, and the fields uh, yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. When this world totally fails, the grounds for doing... The grounds for doing remains. That doesn't make sense. When this world totally fails, the grounds for joy remains. God. Therefore, surely every prayer for life and health and home and family and job and ministry in this world is secondary. And the great purpose of prayer is to ask that in in and through all his gifts, God would be our joy. And kind of what I got from that was... Um, the goal, like you you said, if it, it feels unproductive sometimes or it feels like it just falls flat, the goal for me is just joy, just fulfillment of joy in Christ and in God because everything else, it's just, it's, it doesn't, you know, look at Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, he talks about knowledge and wisdom and the pursuit of everything is vanity and chasing yeah. after wind. But joy is is the thing that I mean is it's it's vital. It's for me it's my main goal. If if kind of whenever everything like you're saying, you just kinda go through the motions and there's these periods of 
of just nothing. You don't, you're not getting anything. You don't feel like you're getting any food or anything out of prayer or reading the Bible or, or meditation or anything. Um, for me, whenever that happens, it's because I've lost, I've forgotten what my goal is. Yeah. What is your goal? Joy. And joy God. is your goal. Yeah. I don't care about anything else. I just want to be, I just want to have joy in God. If I have joy in God, then, then I'm in a, I'm in a place where he can do anything he wants with me. How, how long has that been your goal? Um, that's been my, my goal intentionally for a few weeks, Okay, but it's been, God's been dropping that word joy in my heart for a year, year and a half. Yeah. I've heard you talking about joy and maybe Mm -hmm. the lack of it in your own life. It's, and I don't think that, I think each person has to, do, that. I don't think that there's just this final answer for what right. each person should be pursuing. I think that right now, as you pursue joy, that's where, that's your treasure hunt. Right, and that's what God's put on my heart. Yeah, and it, so if, yeah that's if your you, treasure hunt. So what's your treasure hunt? What's your goal? Oh, that's a, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. <laughs> but I really... I think that right now I'm trying to become better. I'm definitely trying to become a better steward of of wealth mm-hmm. because I think that I've not stewarded it well, which has led me to making God my money. Money, my God. Yeah. God, my money. Money, my God. And I think that that's a dangerous place. It has been for me. But I really think that raising the character of the community in which I'm planted through just discussing the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Minus all the religious stuff. Right. I mean, just it, it, using, using the Bible as using the Bible as that, using the Bible as this is truth. And I know that a lot of truth that's in it disagrees with a lot of things that are happening in the world right now. But I didn't write it. (laughs) You know, I didn't write it. So it's not one of those things where I'm saying, because it's in the Bible, that makes you wrong. My job is to have a conversation about what's in the Bible with whoever and not judge that person whether they're lining up with it or not. That's not mm-hmm. my responsibility. That's not my responsibility. That's that's between them and whether they believe the Bible is true or not. Right. So I think that with that being said right now, it's just for me it's just I guess just to wrap it up with a nice little bow is to become more like Jesus. Mhm. That's I mean I don't really know how to do that. Yeah. Other than just, you know, study his teachings uh, on a regular basis. I think that Matthew 28 is fairly clear. Go make disciples of all nations. I think so many people have taken that and make a disciple of this denomination, make a (laughs) disciple of this denomination, make a disciple of this denomination. And I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. I think he's saying just share the truth that I've come to set the captives free. Mm-hmm. Share the truth that the Messiah has come, and it's just like you can truly be free through placing this free gift of faith in me that I'm really the guy. And then 
water baptism seems to be a part of that. And then after that, it's the responsibility of those people, whether they're younger or older than that person that's just professed faith in Jesus, is to teach them everything he taught. Mm-hmm. And I think that's enough. Yeah, I agree. I think that, I mean, I think that that's enough. And I think, I think everybody is qualified to teach at some level. If you, if you've been a Christian for a week, whatever you've learned in that week, if you uh, come across a a newborn believer, uh, one day old, you know, six days more than, more than what he knows. And you can teach everything that you've learned in that six day period. You can teach. Now it's it's gonna be a little sloppier and a little rough around the edges maybe, but but I I, I get bummed out whenever I see or hear um, different different members of a church congregation that um, for whatever reason don't feel qualified or don't think they're qualified to teach somebody else anything. They think since they're not in a teaching in a in a position of being a teacher they're not a, a pastor or a, you know whatever that they're not able to teach at all um and i think god teaches us everything or different things at different points in our lives we don't there's not like a, a syllabus where we all go through you know the same order or everything in a row um but he teaches us different things that are personalized for us and so um you know if i learned something this week I may share it with you and you may have learned it two years ago or 10 years ago. Yeah. And if I have two weeks from now, if I learn something new and I share it with you, you may not have learned it yet. It's just, yeah, absolutely. So everybody is qualified to teach at some degree. Is that, I think that definitely that's a failing on the part of organized church. Mm. I think it's a failing on, on the part of the congregation. I think the organized church enabled them. I think the enablement comes before the other, though, don't you think? So let's just say, for instance, that you had a congregation. Let's say that they had a pastor. Mm-hmm. That pastor leaves for whatever reason. Maybe they die. Instead of raising somebody up within that congregation, they have to hire somebody from the outside because no one here is qualified. Right. And so it's the same way with if it's a youth group, if it's children ministers— we need to hire a dynamo for this because there's nobody here qualified. And that's totally wrong. Yeah. and those, There is somebody qualified there. Right. And, and those qualifications are based on human, uh, human organized yeah. um, structures, success. success or whatever, you know, they, if they haven't gone through a, a school of seminary or, or a, yeah, exactly. You know, whatever. Yeah, no, I'm 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 100% with you. I think it's the enablement of whoever the leadership is and then the congregation continuing to believe that without ever really challenging that. No, I am able. Yeah, cuz I think in scripture Paul and Luke uh if, if I'm probably forgetting somebody else, but Paul and Luke are the only two that I see that are really highly educated. The rest of the disciples are just, you know, they're fishermen and Jesus was a carpenter. Yeah, I think yeah, you I think you're right. Whether Paul and Luke are the only ones, I don't know, but I know that they were. Mm-hmm. But those other guys, I think the Pharisees regularly said, these are uneducated people. They can't teach. They can't make decisions. The only the only differentiating factor was 
it was obvious they had spent time with Jesus. Yeah. Based on scripture. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's, that's everybody's responsibility. It's your responsibility to spend time with Jesus. And that's where faith comes in. <laughs> well, I can't spend time with somebody that is not in the room. Mm-hmm. That's where it cut. That, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah. I can't spend time with I can't spend time with Jesus. See, some people believe he's dead. Some people believe he's in heaven. I mean, I I believe based on scripture that he's the at very much alive after his <laughs> resurrection at the right hand side of the Father. Mm-hmm. But through the gift of the Holy Spirit that we received when we profess that faith in Christ. You can have a conversation with the Father. That's what Jesus purchased for you. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that faith, then you feel weird talking to somebody who's not sitting in the chair. Or when you read the Bible, it's just like, there have been so many times, and whether I'm looked at as weird or not, I'm reading the Bible, and it is talking to me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it is talking to me. Those pages were put on that paper, or that, that ink was put on that paper. It's just like I was supposed to read that. Yeah. But, I mean, everybody can spend time with him. Yeah, and for me it was like the journey that I went through of getting to the point where, you know, you, I really feel like I'm spending time with Jesus in these, you know, quiet, quiet times. Um, for a long time it, it, felt, it felt like... Um, I found like a box of memorabilia of my grandpa that died before I was born. And I'm trying to figure out things about him through this stack of information that I Mm. have, but I'm not spending time with him. I'm just, I'm learning about him, but I'm not really spending time with him. That's what it felt like for a long time. And it was really, it was, it was really difficult to, to feel, you know, to get that feeling of edification or, or just companionship or, or, um, closeness with him because it was it just felt like a, a I had this all this information but it was just cold information um and there was waves of that you know obviously it, it wasn't like that all the time but um for a long time that was the norm and it was a, an exception whenever I would have this moment of like true companionship where I felt like he was maybe not sitting next to me but um everything that is involved with having a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. minus the physical presence. Sure. Sure. Um, and, uh, and I think it was, I mean, uh, my faith had to grow to get past that, but now it's, it's much more of, um, I don't feel like he's sitting in the room with me, but, and that's kind of what I was always wanting. You know, I always kind of wanted that, that having somebody sit next to me and I can look at him or just, or look away and hear their voice, but you know, that presence is there. And I think I was, I had my, my goal was wrong. I, I had this goal of just companionship, but it wasn't because I wanted companionship with Jesus. I just wanted a buddy. Yeah. Um, and so my faith had to, had to grow. My belief that, um, it had to grow beyond the point of, of thinking that the only way that you could have that closeness was, um, if it felt like he was sitting in the room. And so now it's, it's kind of come to this point where, you know, the scripture that talks about, um, 
pray pray without ceasing that's that's always kind of been difficult for me to to fathom being able to do because you're constantly getting distracted you know going throughout your day things happen that distract you and it takes you out of that conversation it just pulls you right out of it but now it's almost like you're constantly thinking whether you realize it or not you're constantly thinking as you go throughout your day um and now i just know that that those thoughts that are constantly going through my head it's now a conversation it's not just it's not just me thinking and then i have to intentionally start praying for him to be tuned in to what i'm thinking yeah. you know now it's just he's always there and it's just kind of second nature that i know he's listening i know and so it was kind of the same thing with those quiet times having that companionship it's like i know he's he's already there he's yeah. been waiting for me to get there the whole time yeah and I, I i'm starting to i'm starting to grasp some of what you're talking about from a parenting standpoint mm. It's like, so Jackson regularly, when's your day off? You know what I mean? Because he, he knows on my day off, it's just like we're going to get to do something, me and him or me and him and the girls in April. But he knows that on those days, it's more likely that we're going to get to do something together because during the week, it's just like, we're really not going to be able to do anything together because I'm working or whatever. But I think that that's kind of that companionship thing. It's just like up until now, when I was there, there, it's just, you just take it for granted that they're there. Mm -hmm. But now it's just like, I want you to be there. I really enjoy spending time with you. So I think it's very much that same thing. So this is an opportunity for me to kind of pour into that a little bit. But just creating that life, if that is such a thing, creating that that balance of... I heard a quote once says, it says, when you're home, do good at work so you don't feel guilty that you should be at work while you're at home. Mm -hmm. And when you're at work, do so good at home that you shouldn't feel guilty while you're at work that you should be at home. Hmm. And it's just like that's kind of stuck with me just a little bit. But I would say that Jesus said it better. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's even applicable with our kids. Um, but I think it's kind of, we should do that same thing with, with Jesus too. Do unto him as we would want somebody to do unto us. Or we would want him to do unto us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah He's just, already done it. We just. Yeah, but I mean, if it's a continual relationship, you know, conti- treat, him, treat him like a, a relationship that you want to thrive and be well. Mm-hmm. And I think that we do such a bad job at relationships on a regular basis, you know, whether it's with our wives or our husbands or our significant others or just friends, that if we really practice those things with real human beings that are with you in your life, it would make those real relationships with Jesus who's not sitting right in front of you in the flesh outside of it just being you. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so I think that we get better at that. And I'm just, 
I'm not good at it yet, but just like any good addict, it's when you recognize you got a problem <laughs> that it starts to change. Yeah. But I think faith of the centurion in Luke 7, I think it's a good example. It's just like I need to. Yeah, it was almost like he had, it. if we didn't have any context whatsoever, it would almost seem like he, him and Jesus had known each other. They grew up together. They'd known each other their whole lives. That he, They had all this time to develop this trust between the two Yeah. that the centurion displays whenever he tells Jesus, just say it, just say the word. It's like, you know, I've seen you do it a million times. I'm why doubt I'm there's no doubt whatsoever I've seen you do it a hundred times why not there's all kinds of little things I think if you put all four of the gospels together there's little things that happen I think that we can kind of take some some liberties and say this may have happened now obviously I reference him as Nick at night Nicodemus was a Pharisee mm-hmm and they kind of allude to, the Pharisees kind of allude to that this particular centurion has built the synagogue in the city that he lives. Yeah. So is there a chance that some of these closet Pharisee believers in Jesus, such as Nick, this centurion inquires of the Pharisees, I need somebody to come heal my servant. I love this guy. And one of these closet believers, the only thing I know for you to do is you may, you may call for Jesus. So because of someone like Nicodemus who believes in Jesus but can't outwardly express that he believes in Jesus or he's going to be excommunicated from the synagogue where he gets his loot, has to basically behind closed doors maybe tell the centurion I don't know what to do for you you may just send some servants to get Jesus he let's see it says that uh, in verse 3 when the centurion heard about Jesus he sent to him elders of the Jews asking to come and heal a servant why do you think he sent elders of the Jews instead of just uh, more of his servants? I think because, one, he was a Roman, and Mm. Jesus was a Jew. Mm. And it's just like, as a Jew, you weren't supposed to go into the house of a Roman, otherwise you would be defiled. Mm. I didn't know that. So I think that with that being said, he built this place, so he inquired of these Jews, more than likely that habitated at this particular synagogue, what do I need to do? Maybe he, he's heard a story from somebody else. It's just like, how long, this, how long has this servant been sick? Has this servant been sick for years? Did he just get sick? Some of that information's not there, but it kind of makes you wonder. Somebody, somebody told this centurion that Jesus could do something. Yeah. Whether it was the Jews told him or whether it was one of his Roman soldiers that told him, somebody told him. How do you think they knew? Somebody had to have somebody had to have either heard it or seen it. Yeah. They had to have. I'm I'm just wondering if he's got if he himself has seen um 
one of Jesus's miracles or if he's seen, you know, like the the beggar that everybody knows is the beggar, the lame beggar. And he's healed and then everybody recognizes him as the guy that was has been sitting out. Yeah. Um does it say where does it I don't remember does it say where the centurion's from? Or where that um, we would probably have to just search throughout no. the, all the gospels. You'll probably yeah. be able to find that little tidbit of information. It says when the centurion heard about Jesus. Now the now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion hear, heard about Jesus, he sent him he sent to him the elders of the Jews. If we look at those stories, if we look at the, that same story in one of the other gospels. What what are what other gospels does the faith of the centurion show up? Because it's in more than just that one. It's got to be. That's yeah, it's in, in it's in at least Matthew too. Um, so sometimes those little tidbits of information. I think that's what's so great about studying you know the gospels because you can fill in a lot of blanks just by putting the gospels together. Mm-hmm. Matthew eight five through thirteen. So what's it say there? Um, when he had entered Capernaum, Capernaum, okay. a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is, is lying paralyzed at home, suffering So terribly. you can assume that the centurion city is Capernaum. Yeah, and he... Uh, and the synagogue that he may have built was in Capernaum, and Jesus entered into Capernaum. He just came into the centurion's territory. Yeah, here the centurion appeals to him directly. Yeah, exactly. There's, I mean... But at the same time, you may... Uh, Lord, verse 6, Lord my, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said, and Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. So he, came, he went to him, not even planning to ask him to come back to his house. Because he, he, Jesus offers know, exactly that. I know, that's what I'm saying. He's like, you can do this from wherever. Mm-hmm. So I think just putting those together, the faith of the centurion, I mean, he had faith prior to, and obviously it says in Luke that he sent servants or Mm -hmm. elders of the Jews. But at the same time, it's just like, I think so many people will try to say, it's just like, if I send you as my ambassador, Mm -hmm. that's that's the same as me going. Right. So there may be that. Mm -hmm. There may be that. So the same as... God the Father, if he sends his son, that's the same as him going. Mm-hmm. Because everything the Father owns, the Son owns too. Right. You know, so I think that by Jesus coming as an ambassador from the kingdom to the earth to basically say, hey, I'm, I'm taking back this territory. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to put the kingdom inside of you people. And I'm going to take back the kingdom. By doing that, Jesus himself, I feel like Jesus himself had faith in the Father. Jesus himself had faith in the Father that, okay, I'm going to go through with this, but... You better raise me from the dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at that point, yeah. He had to have faith in he had to have faith in Jehovah. Yeah, cuz in I think it even shows that 
struggle of faith, the struggle to maintain faith. Whenever he says, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It, it's all, he didn't lose faith. I don't he believe he did. Faith. But it's almost like he just, he, he, he completely loses all understanding of, of why he's got to go through this it, or not that he loses all understanding. Like whenever he, he prays the night before, yeah, father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He prays. I mean, he goes back to the same spot three times. Yeah. Yeah. Before he sets his chin as Flint and decides, okay, I'm going through with your will. I hear clearly what your will is. It's not like he was trying to get the father to change his will. He right. just wanted to, okay. Is there another way? Is there another it, way to accomplish the goal? I want to make sure that I'm hearing you a hundred percent clear here. Mm-hmm. And I'm not missing some little side door that I'm supposed to take right before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it kind of seems that way. But like you said, on the cross, he says, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabashthani. Mm-hmm. He says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But then they take the hyssop and put a sponge on the end of it and dip it in the vinegar and stick it to his lips. And when that happens, there's like this, he says, to telestai. To telestai. It is done. It's it is finished. finished. Basically, in a sense, paid in full. Yeah, because he had to be completely separated from the father. That's the That's the punishment that he took from that, us. When he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, he was being torn from the Father in yeah. a sense. And just like, but when he realized this is, this is it. Can you imagine that? What's the, what's the yeah. farthest you've ever felt to, from God? I don't know. I would have to think about that. How, what's the closest you've ever felt with God? You don't have to answer, but think about those two moments and the closeness that you felt Jesus, the closeness that Jesus had was probably miles ahead of it. And the distance that you felt, the distance that Jesus felt during, you know, whenever he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? was probably miles beyond that. And it's just, you know, trying to think of, of the, a, a time or a period of time where I felt just so far away from God. But um, the entire time, you kind of know, like he's not gone. He didn't. He didn't leave. Uh, he's still right here. He's still completely powerful and and loves but, me. And I don't doubt. But that. without the word, would you know that? I mean, it says nothing can take you out of his hand without people telling you that as you were growing up. Would you have known that? The only what I I don't I th- know. I think the word is. I think the Bible is what taught me that. But I think, um, faith through faith that comes from grace and um, the presence of the Holy Spirit within me, I think is what allowed me to continue believing that during the moment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that, I mean, we've all, I think that we've all, whether we're a believer or non-believer, I think we've all gone through those dark seasons where there is just no happiness, no mm-hmm. joy. You just feel just flat, man. You continue to go through the motions. Let's say that you have a job wherever, and you continue to fake it till you make it. And for some reason, the 
there's a particular person that walks in or the quarter pounder with cheese shows up. <laughs> and happiness is dependent upon what is happening. Mm-hmm. Joy is something that is there because God exists. Yes. Joy is something that is planted in a sense, or it's a byproduct of having faith. I think a lot of people experience happiness, but not everybody experiences joy. Yeah, I think some people... I think they're confused. It's very much like belief and faith. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think Hitler ever experienced joy. I don't. I don't know. I don't think he. I don't think he did. Hey, I, I mean, even even somebody who is a you know who's not just anybody who's not a believer, um, you know, the rain falls on the wicked and the righteous. Yeah. Um. So even any any somebody who's not a believer. <laughs> they still are experiencing the grace of God here on earth, and there's still this capacity for them to experience joy, maybe? Or at least some kind of, like, deep happiness. And I think that's what drives um, non-believers who who do a really good job at living out the teachings of Jesus sometimes as far as caring for the poor and taking care of the widows and the orphans. I think that comes from this the presence of joy within them that God has given them, even though they are not in a relationship with Him. But I th- so I think somebody who I don't know maybe Hitler thought he was doing good. He probably did, but that's a bad example. Um, <laughs> 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 I mean, he was he was probably totally convinced that he was doing the absolute right thing, but that's. Yeah. That's a false joy. That's a false sense of righteousness and, and justice that's perverted by Satan, the the father of lies. Yeah. It's a bit of a tangent. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I think that that's the great thing about knowing that you ain't got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm okay with just not knowing, but at the same time, I haven't always been that way. Hmm. I haven't always been that way, and I really think that I'm I'm 100% sold out on this. It's through studying the teachings of Jesus that I'm becoming more like that. Oh, yeah. There's no other way. It, I mean, I, I don't even know all the teachings of Jesus. Hmm. I mean, I've read all of them at this point, but at the same time, I get fresh stuff out of it every single time I read one. But the hardest part for me is not learning them, it's living them out. Yeah. The hardest part is living them out. It's like laying down your life, you know, counting the cost before I make that big buying decision have I counted the cost? What is this really costing? And yeah, I think it's good to do accounting as far as the the interest rate and how many payments is going to take. But what do you what relationships have to be compromised to get it? Mm-hmm. Because what you'll do is just like I, I really want this house. I really want this house. 
And I have faith or belief that if I do these things, then I'll have it. But for six years, I'm going to have to work longer hours. I'm going to have to work Saturdays to do it. You have to count the cost before you enter into those arrangements Mm -hmm. because it's your irresponsibility if you didn't count the cost going into it. But if you count the cost going into it, you'll say, it's not worth me missing every one of Lily's softball games. It's not worth it. This house is not worth me missing every single and then you start looking for ways that you can make more money or that you can reduce overhead, those different things. And it's so crazy that even in the business world, in our relationships, that the teachings of Jesus are applicable. Mm-hmm. They're applicable in absolutely every area of your life. Yeah. Count the cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm about to make the decision whether or not I'm going to buy a new piece of equipment that costs $40,000. I'm counting the cost. It's like, am I going to have to hire a new employee before I do this to be able to offer the level of service that these patients deserve if they're going to exchange their hard-earned money for this particular service? Yes, is there the possibility that it would get them better and they have to place their belief in the fact of my salesmanship of saying, I think this can get you better. And a lot of them are going to get better because of it. But at the same time, it's just like, I still have to count the cost. What if it doesn't work? You know, so I think that the faith of the centurion, it's just like, what if Jesus would have said no? He'd be in the same position he was in. He wouldn't have lost anything. Would he have lost his faith in Jesus? Probably. Lost something. Yeah. It just, I think that Sometimes we ask for Jesus, ask Jesus for things that he knows better than us sometimes. Mm-hmm. People always say, well, you don't have enough faith. That's why you didn't <laughs> get what you wanted. No, I don't think that's it at all. Sometimes it just, it just wasn't what was supposed to happen. Yeah, and you got to think about his 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 ways are so much higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts <clears throat> if you were to <clears throat> if you were to um if you were to give Jackson $100 say Jackson you can do whatever you want with this starting off at your age with $100 you can invest this and you can really do something good with it or you can go blow it on whatever you want um It it wouldn't you wouldn't it wouldn't be a good parenting decision to just let him go blow it on on whatever he wanted you know even if um, maybe if you wanted to teach him you know you can do these few things first and then this is what's left over and you can do whatever you want with that but um, say he blew it all on candy then he would get cavities and his teeth would rot out and then he'd be in pain and it, he wouldn't he would regret that decision probably so if we got everything that we asked for from God, then it wouldn't, I mean, we would end up like a little kid with a mouthful of cavities and we'd be in pain and we'd be regretting it the whole time. So to say that, you know, you didn't get what you asked for because you didn't have enough faith is, 
it's pretty self-centered. It kind of, it's, you know, it's like, obvious, obviously I'm asking for the right thing because it's, you know, it makes sense to me. So obviously it's, it's correct. Yeah. But, um, I didn't have enough faith and that's why I didn't get it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not cause God knows better. It's cause I didn't have enough faith. You know, yeah, it's just, sure. that's a, and that can be detrimental to somebody's faith. I mean, that can, I think that happens a lot. Yeah. I think that happens a lot, especially within certain circles. But I really believe, I believe this wholeheartedly because it's, it's proving true in my own life. I can't say that it's going to be true in yours. The more I stay in the teachings of Jesus, the more I think about what I ask for. Mm-hmm. It just because I think that as the teachings of Jesus say, it's just like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Asking for things that are in his will. And I think that that's the, what's in his will? Just like, a lot of things. A lot of things. Mm-hmm. I think just being able to decipher that. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So if you're asking, you can, anything that you're going to pray for, if you just compare it to that verse, or you, or you, you know, does it does it go along with that verse? If I'm asking, God, I, I, you know, I really need a new truck. I would really love to have a new truck. You know, especially if I had four wheel drive, then you know I'd be able to. It'd work better. You know, Leather. Yeah, and all this kind of stuff. It'd be more comfortable, and I'd be happier going to work, and then I'd do better work, and blah blah blah. But I, would that truck glorify the Father and the Son? Probably maybe. not. I mean, maybe though. I don't think God can can use anything for yeah. for the good of those who love Him. But but I don't think I think it's a, that's a stretch to to say, God, give me this new truck. So that I can glorify you, and I, just... I think that, and here's where I'm coming my own life. I do not think this is me personally. Yeah, maybe wrong, maybe wrong. <clears throat> I do not think that God the Father, and I've made this mistake, and I'm going to make this mistake again, more than likely. Number one, I don't have forty thousand dollars cash <laughs> for this piece of equipment so I'll probably have to finance that I think a lot of people would tell you it's just like based on scripture maybe you should delay gratification Mm -hmm. save the 40 grand up and if you have the discipline to do that and you still want it after you've saved the 40 grand up Mm -hmm. because a lot of times if it takes you time to save the 40 grand you ain't gonna want that no more You're going to have that 40 grand. It's just like you're going to think of other things to do with it. And mm-hmm. you're going to realize I could, I got by without that thing that was going to make me happy. Right. But we don't have the self discipline as, as humans sometimes. And I'm speaking to me. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing with, with losing weight or, or getting in shape. We don't have the discipline to do what it takes to get there. We just want to talk about wanting it. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about wanting it. But I think Jim Rohn said it best, he, and it may have been somebody else that said it before him. It's not the attainment of the goal. It's the process in which it takes 
and what you become in attaining that goal, which is the ultimate prize. Yeah. It's not the destination. It's the journey. Yeah. It's what you become along the path. And I think that that's what I'm, I'm starting to desire more and more. I, I know the path I'm on. It's trying to live out the teachings of Jesus and just be satisfied with the outcome. Mm-hmm. Because I know that it is going to refine me into what I'm supposed to be. Some people say, refine me into the best me I can be. <laughs> it's, it's turning me into what I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I'm designed to be. So, I don't know. Faith as a centurion is a challenging thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a luxury to have, though. When, whenever you have faith like that, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a real luxury. Because you, I mean, it just it totally takes away any fear, worry, doubt, um, anxiety, whatever. I mean, it just takes it all away. That, that faith that he has is such a luxury. He wasn't, like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read very much, um, how do I say this? I didn't hear very much anxiety or, like, angst in the centurion's voice. It was, he almost felt rushed, like, you know, he was going to miss Jesus or something like that. Jesus was going to keep on going to the next town, and he would have missed him. But as far as, um, like, whether or not his servant would be healed, if he were able to to finally reach Jesus, he didn't he didn't doubt it. It wasn't like, can you come look at him and see if you can do anything? Can you try? You know, you just no no no, just say the word. I found you. There you are. Okay, now I can relax. Just say the word so that he can be healed. You know, it was, mm-hmm. and it was it's such a luxury to have. It's such a privilege to have that faith that just allows you to stop worrying about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it is, and obviously he had that particular faith on that particular subject. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's one of those things, I just desire that type of faith in all subjects and categories. Yeah. I, I want that kind of faith over my, my financial life. I want that kind of faith over my health. I want that kind of faith over my kids' health. Because it does make it the first thing you go to. Mm-hmm. It does make it. It does make Jesus the first thing you go to. You know, it's just like when you have that faith, it's like you go to it first. You go to you go to Jesus first. You go to the Father first. And if you do that, I mean, haven't you gone to? The well, in a sense. Yeah, that's it. You've, You've done, gone to the source. You did your part. But a lot of times, I mean, it takes us like the woman with the issue of blood. Mm-hmm. She went to all these different sources because that's what the world told her would work. She ended up really broke and older. But when she went to the source... I think, you know, Mary and Martha kind of the point. She's mm-hmm. like, Martha, you're stressed out about all these things, but Mary has chosen the one thing, and I'm not going to take it away from her. Yeah. And it's just like, <clears throat> yeah, I desire to be I desire to be more like that. But Yeah, and then like with Mary and Martha, Mary was 
she was joyful because she she knew that she picked the one thing she that she chose the one thing and she was she she was able to rest in that it wasn't you know i don't can't imagine that she was sitting at jesus's feet listening to him teach and in the back of her head she's like man martha's probably mad at me that i'm not over there helping her she probably wasn't the least bit concerned about martha she was she saw jesus and she was she was gonna let whatever else slip through the cracks she was focused on that and it I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, you're probably, you're probably right. I mean, definitely in those moments, but when Martha came up and she's big sister comes up and starts getting in Jesus's ear, it's just like, you just gonna let her sit here. I mean, Mary had to break attention from Jesus for a moment and hear Martha and be like, you inherently have to answer that question. When a question is asked, you inherently have to answer that question. It's just like, is it right for me to be sitting here when she's doing all that work? And Jesus answers the question for her. You know, it's just like, that's the same with anything else. What color is an elephant? You just answered it. <laughs> it's a, when somebody asks a question, you inherently have to answer the question. Mm-hmm. So when Martha asked the question, Mary had to answer it. And she may have answered, you know, it is wrong that I'm sitting here. But Jesus corrected even maybe her answer mm-hmm. because you have to answer a question when it's asked i yeah that's interesting that you me just you know with the way my mind works putting myself in mary's position or not even putting myself in a position just imagining what she would be thinking projecting my yeah. line of thought in, into her um whenever martha asked are you just gonna let her you know sit here and, and not help me my immediate reaction, if I were Mary, would have been like, "Shut up! Like, come on! I'm all right. Come on! Like, he's here. He's right here, and you're worried about all that. Like, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have had that thought." But uh, Mary, I mean, it's not recorded that Mary said anything, right? Yeah, she but Jesus. She may have started to get up and like, oh, and literally, then Jesus started talking, and, and literally, she was able to sit back down. Mm-hmm. I mean, she literally, and he says, "Martha, Martha." <laughs> You're worried about many things. Mm-hmm. But Mary has chosen the one thing, and I'm not going to take it from her. He doesn't say, Martha, you idiot. <laughs> She's chosen the right thing. You've chosen the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You need to stop doing all that and sit here. He doesn't say that. Yeah, I think maybe because... It's not that she, what she was doing was the wrong thing, but the reason she was doing it was the wrong reason for doing it. She was she was serving Jesus and all the guests in the house, but she wasn't serving them because she was so excited that Jesus was in her home. She was going to get to serve everybody. It was like, well, I think that's that's whenever she invited them initially. I think that's what it yeah. what was behind it. But then while she's serving, and then especially when she gets frustrated that Mary is not helping her, um, I feel like at that point it was. Now it was uh, all these people are going to see that I'm a bad host if, you know, and I'm, I can't do this alone. Mary should be helping me or they're going to see that, you know, we're not good hosts. Yeah. And then she, Jesus, are you just going to let her sit there? And, That's the same thing with church today. Oh, yeah. It's like we got to have the dog and pony show needs to be <laughs> over there in that corner. <laughs> yeah. um, the songs need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, the donuts 
need to be fresh. The coffee needs to be hot. And yes, there is a certain amount of the gift of hospitality that's there that you want people to enjoy those moments that you're fellowshipping together. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But when you put all your focus on that, instead of focusing on the people, mm-hmm. there's a problem. And I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else. Really? Well, I mean, I think that we all are. Uh, you may not be. But at the same time, it's just like, as an example, maybe it was just itchy. <laughs> maybe it was getting unruly. <laughs> you shaved for some reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like me this morning. I felt because I know what the books say about dressing for success. Mm-hmm. I should have shaved this morning. But society is changing that. Mm-hmm. To where clean shaven, because if you if you remember back, all the cartoons and the shows of the sinister characters, they either had a beard or a mustache. Or the goatee is usually the goatee. Some type of facial hair. Yeah. And that's still programmed into a lot of people. But now it's just one of those things, this is GQ. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, it may not be on me, but I mean, it's socially acceptable. Yeah. And just having the faith of the centurion to say, that's all I need. I don't have to put my best armor on to go see him. I just need to get to him. Yeah. And I think that's it. So first filming of See at the Porch, I guess they'll see us back at the porch next week. Yeah. Or real discussions about Jesus and Pierce happen. (laughs) See you guys next week.